Good morning. It is uh, it's good to see you this morning. If you are new, I just want to welcome you. Uh, my name is Steve Cunningham. I get to be the lead pastor here at Wellhouse. So thankful for that opportunity, uh, for the opportunity to serve our community with you. Uh, and I will say over and over again, it's, a, it's really a joy. We have some really amazing people uh, in our, on our lead team, some really amazing people uh, on our shepherding team, some really amazing people uh, on our staff, and so many wonderful people who serve week in and week out to not just help, uh, help us have a Sunday morning experience, although uh, that's always really good, but to serve and help and love on people all through the week. And uh, that, that I'm always amazed by how many people come to me and say, you know, I was talking with this person. This person was helping me or this person was, uh, prayed for me this week. And so that's just an encouragement. I'm so grateful to be a part of a church, uh, not just a, a church, but a church family. And so uh, just excited to see and experience all the things that God is doing here. And I pray that you get to see and experience that in your life as well. We are currently, uh, last week we started in this new series called The Heart of God. And uh, really, we kind of started with this idea that uh, most terms or a lot of terms have some kind of baggage around them. Uh, and last week we talked about this idea of holiness, that the term holy has some baggage behind it that maybe you think of rigid or you think of strict or you think of rule following. And maybe you have that same baggage when it comes to church or a kind of church. Or maybe you have that same baggage when it comes to thinking about God. Uh, and so as we go through the heart of God... Uh, uh, we identify that a lot of terms that we have and the baggage that we have associated with them is because of either A, somebody we know, or B, uh, an experience like that we had that, that brought along a feeling with that, right? So you couple those things together. Somebody you know, the experience you had, the feeling you had behind it generally tends to give us uh, some kind of baggage or some kind of emotion that comes alongside of that. And so what we want to do with this series is say, okay, let's put aside some of that for a moment and let's just look at how God describes himself to us. Let's look at how God says his character is, how he, how he shows us or reveals his heart to us. And so uh, we, we, we really kind of looked at last week as we began this series that the more clearly we see God, the more we understand His creation, that as that gets diluted, as we don't see Him as clearly, then oftentimes we have a harder time understanding uh, what God's creation looks like. And we can misuse that, and we can misrepresent that, and, and we can often over, over time not see it as clearly. And so we want to see God more clearly so we can understand His creation uh, more easily. And again, as I mentioned last week, that as we started off with this term holy, that God is holy, that uh, throughout Scripture, uh, really the, the more, uh, the most descriptive or the, mo the, the majority of the descriptors of God are really centered around the term holy. That as we find in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, 
that those who are in heaven, right, as they sing out about who God is, they sing on repeat, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It's almost as if they can't emphasize enough how holy God is and that he calls us, his creation, to be holy. And for you and I, that's often a really tall order because uh, we may tend to pretend like uh, that we have it all together, life's perfect, everything's going great, but we know the struggles we face on a daily basis. We know the demons we face, we know our past, we, we know our present. And so it's hard for us, but that God, uh, who is so holy, doesn't see holiness as a restriction. He also sees holiness as love and forgiveness. In fact, that's a part of what it means to be holy. See, you and I, we love conditionally, right? We, uh, we would like to think we don't, but the truth of the matter is, is that we do. We do oftentimes love or forgive conditionally, but God in His holiness loves and forgives and gives mercy in a completely different way, and it stems from His holiness. And so that's what we looked at last week, and today we're going to look at another descriptor of the heart of God, uh, and it's probably one that we will enjoy a little bit more than the word holy, uh, and that is merciful. If you have your Bible, I I want you to Uh, turn to the book of Jonah. It's an Old Testament book, and if you were raised in church or you went to Sunday school back in the day, this is certainly one of the stories that you're familiar with. And and we're probably uh, most know Jonah from the story of Jonah and the whale. And today we're not really going to talk about the whale or the big fish. We're really going to talk about Uh, the merciful nature of God in the story of Jonah. So we're going to start here in Jonah uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 1. This is what it says. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amati, and he says, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. So here is... Jonah, he is a prophet of God, and a prophet is oftentimes in the Old Testament, he's somebody who speaks on behalf of God, and God comes to Jonah and he says, listen, we have a problem, and the problem is this, the problem is that there's a city, and the city is full of wickedness. The city is is not doing things as it should, and you need to let them know that, that they're acting against me. But verse 3 says this, But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship and he bound for that port. And after paying a fare, he went aboard and he sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. And if we summarize the next couple of verses, as you may be already familiar with the next uh, few verses and chapters, Jonah runs. But he can't seem to run far enough from God. In fact, the the storm winds up finding him on the ship. And they they, they try to do everything they can do before throwing Jonah overboard into the the water. And then a giant fish swallows Jonah. And he 
winds up repenting and turning back to God. Finally, Jonah repents. He can't outrun God anymore. He wants to. His desire is to not necessarily follow God because Jonah understands this. As a prophet, if you want to be seen as a true prophet, uh, then you have to speak truth. See, the only way to distinguish between a true prophet and a false prophet is that if a true prophet says something, then that something will happen. But a false prophet, well, the, the proof is in the pudding, as they say. And so if they speak out something and then it doesn't happen, well, then you're not really a true prophet. And here's what Jonah notes. He serves a merciful God. See, this story is ultimately about the mercy and compassion of God. In fact, as we look at what mercy is, I, I, I looked up at uh, the definition this week, and this is what it said, compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone with whom it's in one's power to punish or harm. And I thought about that this week as I'm thinking through the, the, the definition of it. It's within someone's power to give mercy. Uh, one of the things that my youngest son, Bear, has really enjoyed doing lately, and I think it's just that coming of age kind of thing for a boy and his dad, that he really wants to arm wrestle me. And he'll try it, you know, every couple of days to see if he's any stronger. And he will say things like, okay, dad, don't go quite, you know, don't, don't try your hardest. Just try a little bit, right? And what he's asking for is a little bit of mercy because he knows that if I were to, to really go after it, right, uh, then, then he would lose. And so he wants a little bit of mercy. Now, here's what's interesting is he will never say to me, now this time, Dad, I'm going to go super easy on you. I'm going to show you a little bit of mercy. Because in that scenario, right, he doesn't have to show me mercy. Because the power structure is different. And that's interesting. See, mercy requires three things. If you have notes, you can jot these down. The first thing that mercy requires is that one person has authority or power over another. That's the first thing that mercy requires. See, Bear doesn't have power or authority over me in that position, does he? And so he can't provide for me mercy. The second thing is that a person has committed an offense They've, they've been involved in something in which they need to be shown mercy. There's some, uh, there's some kind of instance, there, there's, there's some kind of uh, uh, opportunity where mercy has to, to be needed. An offense has taken place, an interaction has taken place in which somebody needs to receive mercy. And the last thing, maybe the most important is, that the person who has authority or power has the ability to carry out a punishment or harm towards the person who committed an offense. Those are the three kind of components that make up 
what mercy is or what it requires. That it requires somebody who has power and control, that, that there's somebody who caused an offense and that, that there's somebody who can, has the ability to carry out some kind of punishment against the person who carried that offense against them. And Jonah runs... We're not really sure why. We think maybe at first, you know, if you're just reading the story for the first time, maybe he runs because he just doesn't like the people of, of Nineveh. They're a wicked people and he just doesn't want to associate with them. He wants an easier job. Maybe that's the reason why. Maybe he just doesn't like that city and that's the reason why. Maybe he's just kind of a lazy prophet. That's the reason why. We're not really sure exactly why until we get to the end of Jonah's story in Jonah chapter 4. So if you're following along, we've gone through this whole Jonah running away and then he winds up repenting and he goes through the city and he preaches and, and Honestly, you can see his heart in preaching. As he goes, it says he goes to the city for three days, walking all the way through it, and he says eight words. And he just repeats them. You better repent because God's going to destroy you. That's it. And that's all he says. And then the people of Nineveh wind up repenting. But Jonah is ticked. The reason why he didn't want to go to Nineveh is found in Jonah chapter 4. This is what it says. They repent and God says, listen, I love you, I accept you, I give you mercy, I, I owed you wrath, but instead as a person in power, you have wronged me, I'm going to choose to give you mercy instead. And Jonah chapter 4 verse 1 said this. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. He became angry and he prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home before you called me, before, before we started this whole thing, before I had to run to a ship, before I was thrown overboard, before I was swallowed by a whale, before I had to repent and then go to that city I didn't want to go to uh, and preach to these people for day after day after day? Isn't this what I told you from the very start? That's why I tried to forestall fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. In fact, this, this phrase, this Hebrew phrase, slow to anger, is actually like an idiom. It's, it's, it's kind of a portrait that is painted of God. And, and really what it says there is God is, is long-nosed which is really interesting way of saying God's slow to anger, but this is what they believe, that as you get angry, how many of you, when you get really emotional, you get really angry at somebody, your cheeks start to get a little bit flushed, and people around you kind of notice, oh, the, the temperature in the room has changed a little bit. How many of you uh, tend to do that? How many of you want your spouse to, to raise their hand because you know that that happens to them? But they believe this, that, that the tip of your nose is the last thing that gets red when you're mad because it's farther away, right? It's farther away from your face. And so they would say, listen, God is really long-nosed. Like it takes a super long time for him to show his anger. 
And Jonah says, I didn't want to go to Nineveh because I hate him. And I didn't want to go to Nineveh because I'm lazy. I didn't want to go to Nineveh because I just know how merciful you are. I know how compassionate you are. I know how slow to anger you are. You're a God who is abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, verse 3, Jonah says this, and this seems a little bit over the top, but he says, Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than live. See, for something inside of Jonah, he says, listen, I can't get on board with the level of mercy you give out. Now, it could be that for Jonah, what he's saying is, listen, now I'm deemed a false prophet. And you know what happens to false prophets? Well, they die. People deem us as liars and our word is no longer good. And so they're going to kill me. They're going to stone me. I don't have a chance at being a true prophet anymore. So God, you might as well take my life. But don't miss the point here. And the point is this, that Jonah knows the character of God. And that is why he's mad. He's mad because he already knew the kind of God that he served. And the kind of God that he serves is a merciful God. It's one that doles out mercy even though wrath is deserved. He knew that even before he took the trip. That that's the kind of God he serves. And it led me to thinking about this in the context of church and over the last 24 years and serving in various roles and ministries and churches, it's never ceased to amaze me how many times somebody receiving mercy, somebody receiving grace, somebody receiving forgiveness or acceptance as a part of a church family oftentimes makes somebody else angry. It, 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 it kind of disrupts or does not distribute even balance. And so it makes them unsettled. And this is the story of Jonah. See, our anger at someone else receiving mercy says more about our sin than it does theirs. I want that to sink in for you just a little bit. That oftentimes it goes back to that, you know, I would rather kind of pick the... Uh, the sawdust out of your eye, then address the thing that, that I'm most dealing with in my own. That oftentimes we prefer to point out the flaws and the sin and the misgivings in somebody else than address our own stuff. And then when somebody shows them favor, oh man, it seems to upset us so much. And that oftentimes says more about who we are and who they are. But Jonah's not done. The story is not done. And in Jonah chapter 4 verse 4. God says something that I really, really want you and I to wrestle with today. This is what he says. But the Lord replied. Is it right for you to be angry? You have found something 
That seems to be true about me, and maybe it's true about you. I found something that seems to be true about most drivers or most people standing in line at at a grocery store. I've seen something that seems to be true about most people who pull through a fast food place or who are waiting uh, on their food to be delivered at a restaurant, and that is that we live on the verge of anger all the time. That you and I don't have to scrape the surface of our lives very hard before we're angry. How many of you ever just, you woke up one day and for whatever reason, you can just feel it kind of surfacing in your life. You're just on edge and you're angry. And then all of a sudden somebody cuts you off and it's like you go ballistic out of nowhere. In fact, you may even say, I don't know where that came from. And that's you. There's a, there's a movie, you've seen this with the Hulk, right? You remember uh, the Hulk gets mad and, and then he says, yeah, what's the trick to you becoming angry? How do you, how do, you do that? And he says, that's the thing, I'm always angry. And I think that's true for most of us, that we walk around in life a little bit angry. And my question is, what do you think will flow from that? What do you think happens to us when we kind of live on the verge of anger? And I love this question that God poses to Jonah here. He says, listen, I'm going to ask you a question and I want you to answer it honestly. Do you have the right to be angry in this situation? And I wonder to you and I, if sometimes it's not a good idea to ask yourself if you have the right to be angry in a certain situation. For some of you, you might be angry about everything. You scroll through Facebook and all of a sudden things that you're never involved in, right? You're, you're kind of just put off by it. You hear a story at work and all of a sudden you're kind of become engaged in it and now you're angry too. You see all kinds of things around you in the world and all of a sudden you're just kind of set off by everything. And I wonder if you and I have the right to be angry about everything. Or maybe it's just the overflow of our heart. See, there are things that we, we can be angry about. And it's not a sin to be angry. In fact, there's times where the Bible reminds us that it's okay to have a righteous anger. But it's one that God desires in us. But so many times our lives are polluted by a sense of anger that just comes from the world around us. That it's driven by this need to think that we need to be angry about everything that happens in life. In church... Far be it from us to ever be angry when somebody receives mercy from God. Far be it from us to ever be incensed when somebody who is lost then begins to be found. Far be it from us when we are the kind of people who hold a grudge against somebody who was once living in darkness and now is pursuing light because of a merciful God. But this is where Jonah finds himself, angry at a God who is so compassionate to the world. But that's who God is. And even Jonah's anger about it can't change the heart of God. The heart of God is trying, in fact, to change Jonah. 
Jonah chapter 4, verse 5. Jonah's angry. He doesn't want to answer the Lord. And so Jonah goes out and he sits down by a place east of the city. And there he made himself a shelter and he sits in its shade and he waited to see what would happen to the city. He already knows, doesn't he? And I can only think that Jonah sits there and he stews. How many of you are people who oftentimes sit and stew too much over things? Come on now, don't lie. I'm raising my hand. Okay, three of us, good. All right. Some of y'all liars too. I mean, I'm just saying, like, just, just calling it as it is. Okay. This is Jonah. He's sitting and he's stewing because he already knows. He already knows what's going to happen to the city. He already knows that God is going to show them mercy and compassion. So the Lord provided for Jonah, by the way, a leafy plant. And he made it grow up over Jonah to give him shade for his head and to ease his discomfort. As if to say to Jonah, listen, I'm not just with you. Or I'm not just with Nineveh, I'm with you. I'm not just providing shelter and comfort for them. I'm providing shelter and comfort for you. And what did you do for it? Nothing. And yet, I provided it for you. It says that Jonah was very happy about that plan. Finally, Jonah got something out of the deal. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint, but he wanted to die. And he said, it would be far better for me to die than live. Has your anger ever gotten you to the point where you said things that were just absolutely ridiculous? That you look back and you're like, I shouldn't have said that. That doesn't even make sense. Because sometimes our anger unchecked leads us to those places. And here's Jonah, and he says, listen, I'd rather die than live like this, even though just the day before he didn't have the plant. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he says. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. The Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, though, you didn't tend to it or make it grow. In essence, like you had nothing to do with the plant. You didn't plant it. You didn't water it. You didn't tend to it. You didn't know how to make it grow. It didn't grow because of you. In fact, it's not your plant. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And then God, in only a way that God can do, says... Let me show you the plant as a parable. Verse 11. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. In fact, what he's saying is, listen, they don't know the way. They don't, they don't understand and yes, you didn't, you didn't oversee them. They are not from you. You had no, no part in this at all of making them and loving them and caring for them like I did. But I love them. 
so I get to care. As much as I want. See, for Jonah, Jonah's concern for the plant made him angry. His concern for the plant made him angry. Don't lose this. It's important. His concern for the plant made him angry. God's concern for the people made him merciful. I wonder if that's not true for us. See, God is concerned for the people, so he shows mercy. And oftentimes I think we think God's disappointment in us leads to distance or wrath, or maybe even worse still, we think that God's disappointment in other people and their sin should lead to wrath and distance, when in reality, it's God's concern for us, His love for us, that leads to mercy. And so I want to ask you a question today, one that I hope that you'll wrestle with over the next week as you begin to contemplate what God's mercy looks like in the world around you. Or maybe you wrestle with the question, do I really have the right to be angry in this situation? The question is this, what emotion or action generally follows your concern What emotion or action generally follows your concern? I can tell you over the course of my time as a a pastor, many different places and many different churches, I've had this like kind of reoccurring scenario that happens with a concerned person in the church, and they say something generally like this, I just want you to know because I'm concerned about the issue. And then it's generally, do you know so-and-so? Because, and if you did, I don't think you'd have them uh, you know, helping you out. Uh, I think, I think I'm, just, I'm just sharing this out of concern. I just, just want you to know. See, the thing I love about this story is it reveals the heart of God and that Jonah already knows God well enough long before he starts in this journey that God is deep and rich in mercy. And then he calls everybody to the table because no matter if you think you're the perfect saint or the worst sinner, he loves you and he loves to dole out mercy on you. Yes, he calls you to holiness because he's holy, but he also recognizes that you and I were fallen people. So, out of great concern for you, and out of great concern for the person sitting near you, and for the people that aren't even in this room today and don't know their right hand from their left, God is concerned, and he pours out his mercy, and he calls us to be people of mercy. That when we have the advantage, when we have the authority, that when we have the power, that when we have the upper hand, that we would never ever use it to hurt or destroy or to hinder somebody else. That we would never choose it to to put somebody down or to pin somebody out. That we would call them back home with loving arms in a way that they know we already know you're that kind of person. 
We already know that about you because that's who our God is. And today we have tables set up in the back. We always have them back there, and it's our time that we call communion or the Lord's Supper, or maybe you've heard it before as the Eucharist. And it's this time where we get extended the mercy of God because He calls all of us to the table. And you don't have to be the best of the best. You don't have to know any scripture or you can know a whole lot. He calls you just the same. In fact, Paul, who is the writer of a lot of the New Testament, he was one, he calls himself the chief of all sinners, but he would write to different churches and he wrote to this church in Ephesus. And in a, in a letter that he sends to them, he says this in Ephesians chapter 2, he describes you and I and our relationship to life. He says this, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and in your sin. As for you, you, oh, you're a mess. That was in the life you used to live. When you followed the ways of the world and the ruler and the kingdom of the air and the spirits that's now at work in those who are disobedient. And all of us used to live among them at one time, gratifying our cravings of selfish flesh and following the desires and our thoughts. Like the rest, we were uh, by nature deserving of wrath. We were in this position of not having the power and being in an offense. But because God and His great love for us, and listen to this, who is so rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms and Jesus Christ in order that the coming ages may know the incomparable riches of his grace and mercy expressed in the kindness to us through Jesus Christ. For it's been by grace you have been received through your faith. And it's not of yourselves. You didn't do this in case you're wondering. It's the gift of God. Not by works that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared for us in advance to do. This is our story. It's a story of a bunch of people who were at one time lost and then God said, you know what, I, my concern for you doesn't give wrath. My concern for you gives mercy and I call you mine and I call you to the table. And so today, if you find yourself in a mess, if you find yourself in a place of, man, I don't know how to get my life together, or if you think for some uh, part of you that you finally have arrived or achieved, God calls you to the table anyway. And he calls us all together. And so I'm going to speak a blessing over you today. And then you're welcome to go back to the table. And I'd encourage you to find some other folks and to pray with today. And to extend mercy and grace and compassion to those around you. Would you stand with me? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and give you peace.
him who is able to keep you from falling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with tremendous joy. May you be swept away in God's love for you and transformed through the Holy Spirit's power within you. Thanks be to the only God, our Savior, who's unparalleled and unchanging, who is matchless and merciful, who's supreme and sufficient, who is before all things and through all things and in all things, both now and forever. Amen. You're dismissed to the tables.